Chief Miller is dedicated to featuring the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Chief Miller has a family of content creators who feature great people doing great things, making the fire service a better place. Make sure to follow along as Chief Miller creates, shares, collaborates, and features the special people who call themselves firefighters. Follow along on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller underscore. Like him on Facebook at Chief underscore Miller number one. And watch for all the podcasts featured within the Chief Miller media family. Make sure to check out ChiefMillerApparel.com for all your fire service apparel needs. BSWUSA.com has done it yet again, gang. Hey, it's Jason, and today I want to introduce the new sound with this Shure SM7B microphone I just got from my friend Jamie at BSWUSA.com. It is an industry leader. It's been around for decades. And you know what? It adds accent to what I already have with my great MXL BCD1 mics in this Rodecaster Pro. So guys, again, as I told you, I started this with a mic and an app. And here I am a year and a half later adding some awesome new sound to the show. So this is what you can do if you want to do the same. Go check out bswusa.com and talk to my friend Jamie Singer about getting into a Rodecaster Pro or one of the Zoom boards. There are plenty of options and combos out there where you can get mics and a board at a price you can afford. Again, go check out my friends at bswusa.com. The K-Man Radio Show is proudly sponsored by some great firefighter-owned businesses. And we're going to shamelessly plug them here for a second, starting with AxeCaps.com. If you're looking to get into some great firefighter-made apparel, what about custom apparel from hats to shirts? What about the Can-Man apparel line? Go check out AxeCaps.com today. And Ian Sargent from SGTFireBags.com. If you're looking to get into a clean radio strap, what about a gear bag that protects you from the carcinogens that we're exposed to on a daily basis? Well, go check out SGT Firebags today and use CanMan for 10% off. And my brother, Herb Tyler from National Rescue Consultants. That's NRC.com. If you're looking to upgrade your education in the USAR world, go check out my brother, Herb Tyler at National Rescue Consultants. That's NRC.com. Get off your ass, canners, and get ready for some extreme tabletop exercises. It's time for the Can Man Radio Show. And now your fearless leader, the senior canner himself, Jason Liska. As we're battening down the hatches for the storm named Ada, 
We're into the Greek philosophers now, it sounds like, because we've exceeded the number of storms we possibly could in 2020 as if COVID wasn't bad enough. Here we are dealing with a gajillion storms, and this time it's not hitting Louisiana. So I guess that's actually a good thing because Joel Miller and those guys over there are doing well for themselves to avoid this one. But hey, it's coming across Tampa tomorrow, and that's going to be fun for all of us because we're going to be out doing pump ops and various other cool things in the fire service with the new recruits. But today you like my intro music and i i like it too but i've got a a really special guest today and he's got a bit of a history behind him and it's kind of a cool history so i think i'm going to bring in a little different music to introduce him so if you know anything about some really good hard rock and you know where that comes from he's nodding his head in approval right there with a thumbs up sign he's the deputy chief he just got pinned 25 years in the service he's an author a lecturer an instructor and a man who looks at leadership and says you know what there's a dark side a good side and well you gotta look at all sides of leadership in order to be a good leadership and that's deputy chief steve frisbrowski so welcome welcome to the show chief as i bring in anthrax to welcome you to this episode of the can man radio show well hell good day there jason and what doesn't get better than starting out with jump seat views at the front, starting it off with his little intro. You got to love Ryan. What more could I ask for? Listen, Thank you for the opportunity to be here today, brother. It was, it was a tribute to you because there's a history with you that we talked about with music and, and how it's influenced you and your life and all the wonderful things that you experienced growing up through music. And then, of course, the lecturing and the things you've done in the fire service. And then when you're out on a jog and all of a sudden you run into these rock stars that everybody's like, how the hell does he do it? How does he run into these guys like the lead singer from Anthrax? Or let's even say you've run into Slayer. You've run into all of them, haven't you? Sebastian well, Bach as well recently, if I'm not mistaken. Or in the last year or so, you ran into Sebastian Bach too. Not all of them. Some of them are at concerts. Some of them are just out in the course of running when I'm at a conference or teaching somewhere or just out and about. And again, there's all these rockers or whoever else in the world. And maybe I'm fortunate enough to have about maybe 20 seconds, 30 seconds with a few of them. So just some of it's random. Obviously, I don't stalk them. It's just, holy shit, there's so-and-so. But the imagery in the pictures lasts a lifetime. When you get to do a selfie with those guys, and it's like, man, I got to shake his hand. That's one of my icons, one of my favorites from back in the day growing up. I listened to this music. I listened to them belt it out. And here I am standing side-by-side with them as I'm just out for a joyful jog while this rock star in his 60s and 70s is doing the same. Hey, you know what? The thing about it is, number one, balance. And I've always enjoyed music since he, being a young child. I've always loved rock music, hard rock music, heavy metal music. Oh, yeah. And given the stressful nature of our jobs, our careers, it, as much as some people say, oh, my God, that's cool, your mother music. No, it's not. I love my dear mother, God rest her soul. But we all find our happy places in different ways, and that's just one of my many ways to try to keep balance out there. And, yeah, every now and then run into people and – you know, usually I'm a shy kid in the corner, but every now and then it's like, okay, hey, sorry to bother you. Possibly get a picture with you. Yeah, no problem. Most people are pretty cool. Yep. Thank God I haven't met any uh, 
anyone that I regret asking, but it's been, you know, an interesting ride. Well, I told you the story about meeting a famous sax player from a band from yeah. the East Coast. And uh, it starts with an E in a sense, right? You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band. Now, it wasn't Bruce per se, but, you know, when I worked in radio, I was, oof, gosh, I was 18, 19 years old. I was doing morning traffic on about three different shows. But one of the shows I worked on when I was done, I'd go up to the studio and hang out with them for the last hour of their show. And I remember it was, oh, it was a rainy, rainy, rainy morning in South Florida. It was nasty. I almost didn't go up to the studio. It was dark. It was bad. Conditions were bad. I was a traffic reporter. I knew better, right? But I was like, no, hell, I'll go up there and hang out with Seabass and Gloria. And so I did. And I remember walking into the studio, and I'm soaking wet, and there's this big dude sitting in the corner. He's wearing ratty tatty sweatpants and a hold up shirt. And there's another young man sitting next to him, a big bag of McDonald's on the little table next to them. And I walk past, I say, good morning. Seabass is doing his thing. He's getting the, the next, you know, the next air check go and he's getting ready to start, you know, out of a song. He's getting ready to lead into the next one. And he did all that. And I remember him saying, Hey, Ben Hur, that was my name. He goes, did you say good morning to her? I guess I said, yeah, I say good morning to him. He goes, no, did you say good morning to Clarence Clemens? I'm like, oh, and I think I remember saying, I was like, I extended my hand and instead of getting a hand initially, I got handed an egg McMuffin and he's like, good morning, I'm Clarence Clemens. Would you like an egg McMuffin? And I'm like, this is the greatest moment ever. Okay. I just got an egg McMuffin from Clarence Clemens in the studio. He had his son with him and I'm like, how do you top that? How do you top that? You can't make that up. It's this. It's the state of truth. It's like, did you say hello to our guest, Clarence Clemens? I'm like, ah, oh, you're sir, you're an idol, sir. You're the best saxophone player in the world. I love you when you're on stage. And God rest his soul, because we lost a great one not yeah. long ago. I mean, when he passed on us. But the cool thing about it, he had a connection to South Florida. He was down there working off of Clematis Street. He had a little studio like efficiency place on one of the buildings on Clematis, and he was doing saxophone and music instruction for the inner city mm-hmm. youth bringing them in and giving them free lessons okay. on how to be musicians. So you talk about giving back when you worked with some of the greatest musicians ever on the planet, like Bruce Springsteen and the E street band. Yeah. And he's That's not, awesome. I mean, you know, you think about the stars that came out of that show too. When you look at the Sopranos and the lot, you know, oh. I mean, you know, that's just a whole nother side effect. The Van Zant man, you know, I mean, he definitely had a good career outside of music, but you know, you talk about how important music is and how it impacted you. And to me, you know, I grew up an 80s pop fan in a sense, yeah. and yet we talked about our connections with Metallica, Slayer, Motley Crue, um, Guns N' Roses was huge for me. Getting mm-hmm. into the alternative scene in the 90s with, you know, the introduction of Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins, the Cranberries, and I brought up the obscure band Crash Test Dummies uh-huh. and the folklore behind that and just their style. It just, that was some of the best parts those were some of the best days of my life having that music influence my mood my happiness and then in my day-to-day i love listening to music in the morning when i come to the station i'll put my little speaker out there and just crank up the itunes and go to town and just let it rock the morning and start it off on a good note and that's funny that you say that because that's always the one thing that when i come home my wife is like quiet please she's she works in the fire service <laughs> oh, so, so she, she knows her stressful day yeah and all of a sudden she's like she wants quiet whereas like no i need to crank some tunes here as i'm when i'm catching up on work or yep. you know doing personal stuff at home here but even when i get into the office in the morning it's just hilarious looking at the look on people's faces that when they first come in they're like is that you're listening to that oh, you know, yeah. what's wrong with that 
or when I was a battalion chief, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the crews, I remember at one of the stations always, one of, they always used to fight for whoever would check out the battalion chief buggy in the morning because nice. one of the guys, I remember he's always like, oh man, I always like checking it out when you and then Chief Miller um, would work because you guys always have the best, you know, music playing because I'd always have a CD already cranked, you know, ready to go in the morning when I get my gear on the BC buggy and then I'd go do my thing, but it's like... Hey, it, it gets me going. And to yep. some people, quiet is good, but to others, to me, give it all. And again, that helps us, I think, with balance, because in the year 2020 right now, good Lord knows we need balance in some capacity, because we talked about all the challenges we faced with. I think we still got, what, a month and a half for the murder hornets to arrive? I believe so. I, well, no, didn't they skip murder, murder hornets because we extended COVID past the elections? I thought that was the whole plan to that. Well, that's right. I forgot we're in a pandemic right now, Fly or flying alligators or something else. Well, that's but, in Florida yeah. specific. Now, flying rattlesnakes, yeah. I could go with, because in California, you've got rattlesnakes like we do here. So if rattlesnakes grow wings, we're all screwed. It is what it is, you know? It's the way it is, brother. And you're right. We do need to find a balance. And the sad thing is we've uh-huh. been so shifted off cue, right? When you think about it, we, we're, we're good at dealing and multitasking and change and, and change mm-hmm. comes quick in anything we do in this service. And, and yet with the pandemic, it brought about a level of change that it, it, it was so dynamic because we went from one level of protection to a new level of protection, to changing our day-to-day interactions, to separation, to not being able to do training in some cases, moving our extracurricular activities, school shutting down, education coming to a halt for us. And that's a very bad thing when you take a group of people that are alpha in personality mm-hmm. and want to get out there and interact with people in an intimate way. Okay, and we do when you think about it. Yeah. Medics, EMTs, mm-hmm. firefighters, we're in your homes, we're in your face, and we're caring for you. We're not there to be assholes. We're there to help you. But yet when you come in now, you're wearing a mask the same of a person in the movie Outbreak. And it's like, wow, you're scaring yeah. me with that. You're not here for a fire. You're here just to take care of me. I think that heightens the anxiety on both sides. And when you have to find that room to decompress, you can't do it because even at the station, you got to wear a mask or some level of protection. You can't do the table and dinner and coffee or anything. It's very hard to swallow that pill right now. It's very hard to swallow that pill. So true. You know, and, and that's why I'm hoping that, you know, those out there listening, the good company officers, the good battalions, the good fire chiefs know that, you know, the line is doing the best they can. You know, we're out there every day. We're, we're facing this pandemic and, understand your people don't intend to go out of their way to put themselves in harm's way outside of their normal duties. It's just, there has to be a point where we can decompress. I think the station is the most sacred place to be able to do that, to be honest with you. Yeah. One of those few sacred places that we have, not to mention the station, the four walls of the station, but also the kitchen table. Oh yeah. And I think that's why it's so critical for really, especially company officers, because they're the glue of the fire service. Uh Uh, to make sure that all those distractions that are out there and they're not going away anytime soon. I mean, January 1st is not going to be a magic, oh, we're good to go button. I hate to say it, but all those little things that keep compounding in this year, for example, and who knows what next year will have in store, but the company officer having to recognize that and really be so in tune with their crew, not just the strengths and the weaknesses, but also the pulse of the day because you look at the mental health, behavioral health crisis that we have, not just in the fire service, but in the world itself, mm-hmm. compounded by the pandemic. You know, as challenging as my job is as a deputy chief, I couldn't imagine being a company officer in today's fire service. I mean, I spent my time as a company officer and battalion chief and so forth, but all the challenges there, because it's not just the calls, 
which are challenging enough, but now all the concerns about, will I get infected with COVID? Am I going to bring it home to my family? Yep. We go to these, you know, skilled nursing facilities, are they going to be a problem or maybe um, homeless folks can be a challenge or yep. maybe it's something else. And it can be very overwhelming to try to keep that balance and try to make sure you don't go crazy. From a personal perspective, and even mm-hmm. before the pandemic hit, one of the things I learned, and, and, and I consider, like you said, the, the company officer outnumbers the chief officer any day yes. of the week, okay? And that is the first line of leadership, the lowest level of human resource management. And when you become a company officer, you're no longer the senior firefighter, the driver, or the mm-hmm. Jake in the back seat. You're the guy who's now in charge of three or four lives in that truck. Yep. And if you can't acknowledge that you have to put their needs ahead of yours. And and that's something very important. I think that is not often taught when you go through officer development processes, or if you even study to take a test, the test doesn't do the bugle justice. You have to be able to understand the needs of your position. One of the things I learned right off the get-go is you've got to understand your people's needs. You've got to listen to them and you can't fix all their problems, but you have to be an open ear because what my expectation is, is a good attitude walking in the door, right? It's hard to embrace that good attitude when every day you come to work and you're thinking, well, I'm going to bring COVID home to my family. And so your mindset's skewed right off the get-go. It's very hard to try to find that center. That's where we talk and that's where we have these dialogues because stress kills stress leads to depression if you look at the national statistics and i'm not going to throw a bunch of numbers at you but let's say we know for a fact there's been an uptick in drug usage overdoses domestic batteries depressions, suicides do you think the fire service is immune from that hell no they aren't and when we go to work we're supposed to be able to enjoy and embrace each other's company we have a hard job to do when we do that job and we take those lives and put them in our hands our leadership matters at that point but if the breakdown happens at the level of leadership, then you're going to have a dysfunctional crew and a lot of problems. Well, without a doubt. And I, I, I like to use a phrase when I'm having conversations, discussions, you know, presenting classes, that one thing I learned over the years is that leadership doesn't start at the top. Now, I know some top chiefs will probably disagree with me on that one. But yes, as a fire chief, you have to set the tone, have your vision, policies. I get all that stuff. But personally, to me, leadership really starts along with teamwork at the firehouse. Because if you think about it, who gets the job done? Typically a team of firefighters, a crew of firefighters, whether it's typically two, three, four, double companies, triple companies, that's 24, seven, 365, sometimes for 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours. That's where everything starts and ends. And if bad things occur, it's usually sometimes because of the maybe the lack of um, leadership at the company officer level. Nobody comes to work that I'm aware of trying to do the wrong thing or yeah. trying to get in trouble or break something or do something stupid. But things happen in the course of life because we're all human beings. Yeah. And we can't just separate home with, oh, we're at work now for 48 hours. So we're good to go. No, I mean, personal stuff will transcend in. That's why today's company officer, another thing I like to share which is sort of like a scared straight thing with mm-hmm. new officers. It's like, Hey, you're not just a, okay, you're a company officer now, Lieutenant captain. You're not just a leader or a follower or supervisor. You get that, mm-hmm. but you're also a health and safety officer. You're a training officer. You're a risk manager. You know, you are a HR professional. Yep. You're a public relations expert. And you may go, wait a second. That's what we have staff at headquarters deal with. Not at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, at station three on the whatever shift 
or not out on the call at this time. And I think that's that sobering fact that new officers, it took, I wish I would have been told that years ago when I became a new captain 20 years ago of the responsibility that is on my shoulders as an officer. And we're going to make mistakes. We want to make mistakes because that's how we learn, hopefully. But a lot of weight and responsibility on the officer of today. I mean, all ranks, no disrespect. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. To piggyback on that, one of the cool things that our fire chief did for us was they gave us a what to do book. Okay. Chief gave us all when we got promoted and still does to this day, all new lieutenants, a what if book. So say you have this type of incident and you're not familiar with it because not all of us are USAR or hazmat tech or truckies or anything like that, or PIOs for that matter. You know, you talk about doing those social interactions. Well, what happens if a county commissioner walks into your station? How are you supposed to conduct yourself or what if a news media agency comes in and wants to talk to you about something well you have to know your limitations and the process to get there but you brought up a valid point you're at you know that scene at three in the morning and your leadership might be still 30 minutes away and that call's still going mm-hmm. on and that can happen in my neck of the woods my battalion could be 20 30 minutes out depending on where the call wow. is right and it's not their fault it's just where they're positioned yeah. we, you know it is what it is but the company officer is the face of the department the face of the truck, the face of Lake County, for me, that is. And so if we don't represent ourselves in the appropriate fashion or know how to communicate, it doesn't take much for things to get skewed in the eyes of the press. And they can take one comment and totally just blasphemy you and just make you look like you're the devil in the end. You know, it's like, we didn't mean to say that. No, but you got to think about what you're going to say. And that's that's why I love teaching PIO and teaching these, that class to firefighters who are very uncomfortable about talking in public. It's a job that's required of us as company officers. And you mentioned something else, the 16 life safety initiatives and how things go sideways. And I know you're familiar with probably the 16 life safety initiatives. No way around that. I love teaching that not just at the fire college where it's a requirement into all of our curriculum, but when I teach independently or I teach at the class as a member of the NFFF, like for the recruit class I teach, every recruit class I teach, the opening is always the 16. And that's where we talk about the unexpected and extraordinary incidents where we can come prepared and ready to do our job. But it's that unexpected moment where shit goes sideways. And guess what? Something bad happens. And you got to be ready for that. You got to anticipate that, sadly. And how do you, though? How do you? (laughs) Well, that's the problem. And it's not just fireground stuff, because like you mentioned, you know, you're waiting 25, 30 minutes for a battalion chief. Yeah. Think about it call volume versus what is most of the day consist of in most firehouses. It's not necessarily emergency scene activity. A lot of it is firehouse activity yep. and knowing what to do when the line is crossed or not crossed. I think one of the biggest things that we as a nation have done as a disservice to new supervisors is we drill in into people. We've all heard this handle things at the lowest level, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. You want to handle things because you don't want to say, hey, boss, I got a problem, do my job. No, that's what you're getting paid to do if your career mm-hmm. or if you're a volunteer expected to do if you're appointed. But I'll add a sentence to that. Handle things at the lowest level, but make sure you include your boss or keep your boss informed as appropriate because yes. your boss in the perfect world, especially say company officer, is a battalion chief or district chief, depending mm-hmm. on your department. They're your check and balance system. They've probably done your job. They probably may have more experience than you, but they're that one to balance things off. Hey, chief, 
I had this happen. This is what I'm thinking of doing. Am I on the right track? Yep. Hey, cool the jets. No, we're not going to fire this guy because of that. You don't have the ability in your capacity, and that's a little harsh for the first occasion. Right. Or you need to ramp it up a little bit, boss, because this is a big risk management issue that now I've got to make a call, say, the battalion chief to HR or risk management. So I think that's the thing. Handle things at the lowest level, but make sure you get your boss involved when appropriate. Not to ask them to hold your hand, but to just, you know, it's a teamwork effort here. Oh yeah. Check and balance. I, so that, that I think is another critical thing, not just out in the field. So, and I can, house. I completely agree with you in that aspect because mm-hmm. there are things that exceed my abilities, right? So that's why mm-hmm. I have a boss above me. And if it's something yep. that I can't solve in house, or even mm-hmm. if it's an issue I do solve in-house, I still want to keep them abreast of what's going on. I still yeah. want to say, hey, listen, we had this occur. This is what we did. And like you said, hey, maybe I did it the wrong way. This is the other side of that, though. You have to be willing to break that barrier and acknowledge the problem first as an officer. If you're not going to address the issue at all, the issue is going to be a bigger concern where it will end up in that battalion or district level before you even know it. And that's the side of leadership. You talk about the dark side in some cases, the good and the bad side of leadership. Everybody's out there saying, well, being a leader is this and it's great. And you're getting this bugle and you're doing these wonderful things. But you forget We just talked about human resource management. You have to understand people. You have to understand needs. You have to understand abilities. You have to address weaknesses as much as strengths. And you have to be able to course correct. Where you fall short, and I'm not you, of course, but where we fall short as a core of leaders, I think, is failing to acknowledge. And Herb Tyler and I talked about this in a podcast, acknowledging the little things that we let go until they become a problem that is beyond our control. You know, you hit the nail on the head because as a brand new firefighter, I remember being taught, Hey, Steve, don't sweat the small stuff. We had a captain that was very, very casual and very popular individual. And I remember I I was doing something. He's like, Steve, just chill out. Don't sweat the small stuff. And that was his just casual attitude. And that was sort of the way he ran his firehouse Mm -hmm. and good, better, different, but it sort of sometimes transcended to the emergency scene and how he dealt with personnel issues or didn't. And a wise mentor years ago taught me, no, you got to worry about the small things because if you don't address the small things, they could lead to big things. I'm not saying be a micromanager by any means, but don't discount or don't turn your head to those small things because they could be symptoms of bigger problems. Take a look at any firefighter fatality after action report or significant injury, significant accident Mm -hmm. in any line of work, but especially the fire service. Usually it's not one thing that caused the problem. It's usually little symptoms that might have been that day over a period of time, but we're just, that's ah, not a big deal. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to deal with that or I don't know how to deal with it or whatever else. Yeah. We got to worry about those things and maybe squash them before they blow up. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll use Sean Duffy as an example, who's a brilliant educator with he and Pablo, and he does a, a great podcast every month with Steve Green and five alarm. And that's an uh, up and comer too. Right. So yes. he talks about culture and it's not just the fact that culture matters internally, but he's looking at how we can train and evolve our culture in the physical sense too. Mm-hmm. my cultural beliefs. And I feel like when you look at things in a cultural perspective, right, it's relevant, you know, relative, uh, relativism, or it's, it's, uh, it's, you universal, right? It's what you believe or what's the universal standard. And I think in a sense, there is a departmental culture and an expectation when you walk into that department. But yet when you look at it in a bigger scale, there are in, for instance, in any department, let's say it's 25 stations. Now you're going to have 25 different cultural perspectives. And if you add each shift to that, now just 
basically yep. now you're going to 75 when you consider it. So it's like, which one is right? Which standard is the right way? I mean, there has to be a method to the madness here. And where does culture, where does culture carry weight and where does it not? And I think that culture to me means that you have to embrace the good of the department. You have to see where you can introduce that into your day to day, but not every aspect of it is going to be relative. In some cases, you have to find in a way as a company officer to build your own cultural pursuits to get your guys and, and, and your crews motivated. No, inspired and i would gary would be mad at me if i said motivated gary would be mad it just inspired to do good things and culture culture plays a huge role in that good attitudes brings good culture i think oh without a doubt and so much lives and dies by the team itself and i think it starts with culture and you don't want to have 75 different fire departments in that 125 station department because of the three different platoons or shifts you want to have hopefully everything along the same lines. And yeah, in that sense, leadership would start at the fire chief, the command staff and whatever else. But sure. It's also with hopefully hiring, promoting the right people that are going to not drink the Kool-Aid per se, or not be yes people, but at least be able to buy into the bigger picture of doing the right thing and, helping move things in the right direction and and not backtracking but the other side of that cultural side of things you know i'm working with the recruit class here and i get this opportunity every time now because we're, we're teaching pump ops in our recruit class which yeah. is a really great class i think to teach some may argue some may not but i think it all builds to the credibility of what we do out in the field because of the size and the capacity and the abilities of our department but when you look at the little things these kids do and it's it's more or less they're not trying to do it intentionally to forget the little things they're not they're not trying to not adapt to the culture of Lake County. They're just coming into it. So they're learning how to become a Lake County firefighter, right? But catching them in those moments where they're not listening and they're not they're not following direction and they're making the same mistake, that's a huge thing because if you don't correct that then, it's going to follow them into the field and it could be the demise in the grander scheme for them. They might not make oh, yeah. it through their year of probation. So you got to be, and, and, and I say this a lot and, and I tell these kids, we want to empower you. We want to empower you to do the right thing and say and speak up when you need to, but also you have to know that there's a point where you listen and react to what we tell you to do. And that's mm-hmm. finding a balance. And that's almost in a way creating a culture of good firefighters, a good mindset of I can be spoke outspoken when I need to be, but I can also be open-minded where I have to be in order to grow. Well, I think the biggest challenge that I see across the country is that we're getting better at trying to empower our recruits in Mm -hmm. most departments, I would hope all, but most, you know, if you see something, say something, do something, all that stuff we all hear all the time. But the challenging part is, as you've probably experienced is the recruit academies can do their best to try to empower and everything else. But then what happens when they sometimes get released to their fire stations, firehouses, the probationary period, sometimes it's like, Hey kid, shut up. Unless you're asked a question, remember you got, two ears and, you know, one mouth for a reason, yep. you know, listen more than you talk, which don't get me wrong is critical. It's critical to listen more than you talk, but it's almost contradictory to, well, God, I think that's unsafe. Well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to be that guy or get in trouble or even worse. When's the last time they practiced that? And then if they did practice that, where they told, Hey, shut up, kid, I've been on the job for 30 years. And I got underwear older than you. Yep. I don't need to hear it. And between me and the driver, we've got 80 years between the two of us. You know what? Just shut up and ride backwards. 
But Got see, it. that's where a gut check needs to come into play. Yes. Okay. That's where you have to do a leadership, a leadership gut check. And, mm-hmm. and don't think that good leaders can't go bad. And don't think that bad leaders yeah. can't become good. Because when you walk into leadership, let's be honest, we're mediocre right off the get go. Mm-hmm. We're not there at the level of people ahead of us with 10, 15 years experience in that role. We're ground level. We're at mid-range of knowledge and mid-range of understanding, if not below that in some cases. And the only way to learn is by making mistakes and by learning from others and by asking questions and sometimes by challenging a thought process, not Mm -hmm. to be disrespectful, but hey, listen, I learned this here. You're doing it this way. Why don't we work smarter, not harder, or let's prevent something from happening. Mediocrity can become the high end, but you know, sometimes mediocrity obviously sinks to the low end of leadership and you just become a, well, I hate to say it, but a shit leader if you don't take the time to try to develop yourself personally. And if you're a great leader and you get frustrated, how many leaders have you been around during the course of their career where they've gotten frustrated because they don't feel they're making an impact anymore? They've they've mm-hmm. hit that perpetual wall where it's like, I don't feel I'm effective. What can I do differently? How can I correct myself? And some just give up and it's sad to see that. It's called renovate the home. It's called figure out what you're doing wrong, or maybe you're not doing it wrong. Maybe you just need to take it from a different perspective, right? But you see that, I'm sure, in your teachings and your interactions with people across the country, good leaders that are digressing because they've hit that wall. Well, and and that's an interesting point because a lot of times that wall gets confused with generational gaps, Mm -hmm. and I hear a lot of complaints. You know, it's I always love it when people start complaining. Usually it's sometimes the older and I'm older, the older generations complaining about the younger generations. And I, I don't like to make things be blanket party sessions to me. Let's have healthy discussions, but mm-hmm. be careful what you ask for because we all live in glass houses. So yep. I let people vent. And it's interesting when we have a multiple generations in a room and then you'll always hear some of the older ones will almost point out, well, the millennials over there or something else. It's like, okay, let's be respectful here. But what I have to remind people is, okay, just while you're pointing, you know, say your baby boomer generation X, Y, whatever, mm-hmm. just as soon as you're pointing a finger at somebody else, guess what they're doing? They're pointing the same finger at you. Yep. Guess what they're doing 50 years ago to your grandparents and parents complaining about the younger generations. Guess what they'll be doing a hundred years from now complaining about. So that's a constant, but it's also a bridge to touch on what you mentioned is it's very easy that we all have our generation, whatever insert name of generation. Of here course. Is, but, if you spend 20, 30, 40 years in the fire service, you're going to have multiple different generations. And I was teaching a three-day class up in Oregon last year, and I'm sharing some of my thoughts. And I'm not the guy from California that's telling you what to do. I'm here just to offer some best practices, offer hopefully some good discussion points, learn a lot of things because I enjoy learning from everybody else as I always do. Yep. Maybe I'll share some things that, from my experience that'll be beneficial, make you think. But anyway, this one guy on day one, I could tell he was like, well, well, chief, I don't agree with anything you're saying. That's fine. I'm again, Hey, just take it or leave it. You know, just maybe just keep an open mind just like I will. Well, he was close to 60 and he was very, um, he came from the military. And again, you work in the military. It's do it because I told you to yep. jump because I told you to order driven, order driven. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> and he's, and he was struggling because he goes, I did my time in the military. Then I transitioned to the fire service. And he goes, I'm basically 60 years old now. And he goes, I'm old. He goes, I'm ready to retire. Yeah. Not because I want to, but because I'm so frustrated because these guys don't jump. When I say jump, he wasn't willing to bridge the gap. And then mm-hmm. after the third day, he pulled me aside and he goes, you know what? He goes, I appreciate you sharing some things you shared. And he goes, you did it in a respectful way. Of course, there's no reason to be disrespectful, but he goes, 
it really made me think that I still love the job. I love coming to work every day, but here I am getting frustrated at these people that could be his grandkids. Sure. But he wasn't willing to change because I finally realized that I got to change just like they got to change to put up with me. I mean, they don't have to, nobody has to, but yeah, he goes, I actually sort of took that to heart and he actually emailed me a couple months after that. And he goes, you know what? I'm actually re-enjoying the job now just because he's taking the time to break bread instead of trying to shut off the younger generations. He's trying to get to know them. It's like, cause he, one of his complaints is like, well, they don't like to have conversations. They're on their friggin' phones all day. Oh, I've got a way and to break well, that. I love doing it too, but go ahead. Keep going. No, you're the, and I'll, I'll cut this off here. But as I told him, I go, you're the captain. I go, it's your kitchen table. I mean, not yours, but ours. But you know what? Nothing says that you can't say, hey, you know what? It's no, it's no, no um, technology free zone while we're at the kitchen table. And that is our sacred period. Remember John Salka, FDNY battalion chief, saying mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah, a lot of FDNY stations, they got technology free. You know, they put your phone right here. And I know it probably happens in other fire departments. Sure. But anyway, if the sure. phone rings, you have to leave or let it go to voicemail. But the point is, this one captain goes, it was sort of interesting. He goes, I mean, I can do that. I go, okay, you're the captain. You can tell your crew. Well, what if they don't like it? Ask them the question. Maybe they won't mind, or you know what? Maybe they'll begrudgingly do it. But again, start that team bonding and team building there. And if you're not taking the time to connect with the other generations, yeah, it probably is time to move on because you've exceeded your shelf life. Well, and you look at it from a perspective they were born into this technology. So it's all they've known all their life. Right. So guys like you and I, you know, I was born in the seventies. You were born in the late sixties. Okay. We're, we're just roughly 10, 11 years Mm -hmm. apart from each other. You know, the, the, the instant gratification came about much later for us in Mm -hmm. a sense. Right. But here's the thing. I'll go one step further to taking Uh technology and inheriting or reinstilling some of the old school beliefs of the coffee table talk and not utilizing this phone. When you got these kids who know how to use this one device, why don't you use it to the advantage of them learning? And so that's something I like to think about when I have these 20 somethings coming in and they know their phone, they know their computer, they know their tablet. Well, mm-hmm. I want you doing NIOSH reports every shift. I want you researching equipment. I want you giving reports on this every, like for my guys, when they come in, they do a NIOSH report every shift and they give it to the shift oncoming instead of offgoing. So, but what can they do with this device? They can look everything up right here. So they incorporate that technology it gives them something to do with it other than playing games or Facebooking all day long. And then the next morning they present an oral report and guess what they're doing now? Something they're not great at doing, which is communicating verbally because everything is text or emoji driven. So when you think about, yeah, there's a point in time where you've got to cut technology off. Also acknowledge it has its value. And if you identify with them, like you said, if you learn to sit down and listen to their expectations, their needs and their abilities, use this technology to your advantage as a good company officer and get them into it for the research they need to help save their life. Well, it's funny you mentioned that one of our senior firefighters getting, who's about ready to retire, he came into the office to do some time there and get some stuff done. And he got hired a year before I did, but so we're about the same age, but he's got a kid that's in college right now. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because he's a pretty intelligent, worldly guy, but he goes, you know what he goes, I'm hearing all my coworkers complain about these young kids that they don't socialize well, they don't want to communicate and everything else. He goes, he goes, I talk, you know, my kid, my kid's like 20 years old. He's in college and everything else. He goes, I agree. The kid does not really, the kid just doesn't want to communicate maybe because he hasn't been exposed to it. He goes, but what he goes, 
where the problem lies is that the guys, you know, some of the other firefighters will just write off the individual versus yeah. this guy will immediately just go in, sit down next to the kid. Hey, you know, tell me about yourself. You know, it may be a little awkward, but hey, you know, where'd you grow up? What's your family? Because I'll just start asking questions because he's a people oriented guy. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, the other guy is like, well, how do you two get along with your buddies? Well, it's not like they're buddies because I talking to the guy, you know, finding out more about him, his background. He's asking about mine. We're having a conversation. You know, it's, it's okay to talk to people, you know, but here's a good example of, yeah, here's someone that's not complaining about a problem, but he's actually doing something about it. I mean, it's helpful that he probably has a 20 year old kid that he can relate to, Sure, but it took him time to get there. It wasn't easy as he said, but he goes, I realize it's all about communication. Yeah. And, 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 and expectations. And you know what? These yeah. kids want to learn. They do. They wouldn't yeah. have gone to school if they didn't want to learn. They're scared to speak up. They're scared oh, in yeah. some cases to ask questions. They're not geared like we are. So, you know, they don't have some of the tactile skills we have. They don't have some of the backgrounds we do. Um, and so they don't understand us. But we also have an expectations company, officer, senior guys, driver. I don't care what level of rank you are in the fire service. You get a new person in your station, you need to engage with them. And, and that's the side note to technology being involved. But you're right. You've got to sit there and talk to them, pick their brain. You know, when you create a plan for them and a path as mentoring is important. They know they want to be an officer one day. They know they want to achieve that level of success, but in most cases, they don't know how to get there. The only way they're going to learn is if you walk them down that path or give them the map. You give them the map and they will find their way to that success. And then you encourage them and then you're there to listen to them and then you're there to guide them and course correct where necessary. It's not hard. You just have to invest in them like you invested to becoming a leader Guess what? People were there by your side. People were there to help you. Why can't you give it back and pay it forward to someone else? Why can't you? You know, it frustrates me. We we are in the middle of a captain's testing process right now. Mm-hmm. And 20 some people taking the captain's test, firefighters. And it is interesting when you hear, just like I was guilty of when I was at the firehouses, you know, why is that person taking the test? They've only got X amount of years on, you know, yeah. to the perfect... To some people, you shouldn't take the captain's test until you have like 50 years on the job. Sure. You know, you've worked at the busiest stations. You've seen a million fires. I get it. I mean, that's an opinion. But on the flip side, it's like, as I hear some of these complaints, they're like, well, how about instead of complaining, the person obviously wants to take the test. Mm-hmm. Are they going to make an awesome company officer with only a few years on the job, meaning the, they met the minimum qualifications? Yeah. Nobody is usually. I mean, no. I wasn't. I know that. But the problem is most of our departments don't get a lot of significant incidents. So if you say it has to be, well, they have to have X amount of fires under their belt. Well, that could be a while in a lot of departments. Yeah, we're not burning and turning every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, so five years versus 10 years, yes, they'll be providing more experience. But on the flip side, I try to turn back. It's like, okay, well, this person obviously shows some motivation, some drive. Yep. Instead of trying to discourage them and talk them out of it, you're actually shutting off mentoring when, in fact, you should be the one that's mentoring them. I mean, I'm not saying telling them, Hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take the test. Cause I had guys taking, telling me you, sh- you shouldn't be taking the test too early. Well, I make the minimum qualifications. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't part of the cool kid club because those other guys that were the cool kid club. Well, what about him? Well, he's dialed in, ready to go. Yep. I'm not dialed. No, you're okay, kid. But it's like, how about taking that? And you know what? Cause that person's going to probably promote at some point. So you might as well get on their good side and try to be a good positive mentor versus the one that always shuts them down because I'm not saying turnabout's fair play, but why be that guy or that gal that is always, oh, sorry, you're not good enough to join the club yet? Well, you're discouraging them. 
is what you're doing. Now, does it, like you said, two years to meet the qualification, that's probably not nearly enough. Ten years might not be enough. You could work at slow stations your entire career, see three fires throughout your career. That doesn't mean you're not ready to take a step up. There's more to leadership than knowing how to be tactical on a scene, in a sense. You've got to understand people, dynamics. You've got to understand the station requirements. I'm responsible for a fire station, fire apparatus, the human resource management of people, And tactics is somewhere in there, being a paramedic as well. I have to know I wear many hats when I walk through the door every third day to walk into that station. So it's not just the fires. It's not just the things you do on a call. But Mm -hmm. that's something I want to pick up on in another conversation with you because – your leadership experience has brought you to the point where you've written some great articles and books, and you have been teaching across this country now for many, many years. And I want to give you an opportunity here just to share some of those experiences that led you to when you wanted to become an instructor and start sharing that knowledge, and when you started writing your books and your articles and where they're at now, and what you're, what you're planning on doing here in the near future. Well, I appreciate, appreciate your kind words and feedback there, sir. Um, it's weird in the sense that I always knew that when I was going through my fire science, cl- fire science classes at Chabot College in Hayward, when I was going through those classes, I remember looking up to those instructors who are all working firefighters, captains, and so forth, and having that passion of someday being an instructor. So that was something that I always looked to, that I wanted to be a firefighter, wanted to promote up the ranks at some point, but I also liked sharing knowledge and passing on things. So I was very fortunate that the only way to get some experience in the resume when I was going through EMT school and I graduated EMT school at the college because I was getting ready for paramedic school was to volunteer for the EMT program because they are always looking for people to come mm-hmm. help out. And it's sort of, okay, it'd be nice to get paid, but volunteering is good because it's for the resume. And then I also was a fire explorer with the city of Alameda mm-hmm. And because I was going through the firefighter one Academy at the same college, the firefighter that coordinated the program, he was allowed, he goes, Hey, how about you and your buddy, Greg help teach, you know, these, because we were the old ones, like at 23 years old, but most of the explorers were all like 15, 16. So we were sort of there to help them with skills. And it was just sort of a natural progression that when I got hired on the job here 25 years ago, I had already had, volunteer positions and part-time paid positions at the college teaching EMT and paramedic school. Once I graduated paramedic school, I had always had a desire to write stuff, speak at one point naively years ago, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to have 25 years with the FDNY in the middle Mm -hmm. of the Bronx running fires every day to have credibility. And I know credibility is in the eye of the beholder, but I thankfully had some wise mentors that said, you know what? Because I'd look at Fire Engineering Magazine, I'd look at Firehouse Magazine, I'd look at, okay, who are the authors, what's their background, you look at the FDIC program every year, because they'd come out, and it's like, wow. But then it also dawned on me, yeah, there's guys from FDNY, there's guys from big city fire departments, county departments, small departments, volunteer, career, combination. A wise mentor told me, I mean, you don't have to work for the big city fire department to have credibility, find your niche. So, I mean, I'm not going to be teaching strategy and tactics. I understand them. I can hopefully safely, effectively perform them and teach them if I had to, but find your passion. That's why when I'm trying to navigate, how can I best give back besides teaching EMT and paramedic skills, we're helping mentor people get in the fire service. And that sort of transcended to a position at the college in a full-time capacity, coordinating the fire program, back from 2002 to 2006 
overseeing the academy there at the college and really getting a chance. And I still teach there part-time one night a week and run the website for Chabot College's fire program. And I still mentor people like I'm fortunate to do. So all those transcended into getting me a lot of experience. At some point when I became an officer, I knew that I wanted to be able to share best practices, whether it's, I mean, I know leadership is a generic term and there's different opinions and different sure. ways you can look at it. And I'm not a guru, guru by any means every day. I realize how much I don't know and how mm-hmm. much I need to do better, but it's just been a passion because I see such a lack of officer development. I'll use that as a generic term, really leadership development leaders are every rank leaders are not just supervisor rank yeah. to me. A leader is, can someone be in a probably recruit school all the way up to the fire chief. So once I became a captain, I was already fortunate at that point to have started writing articles on helping people, you know, get hired in the fire service, helping people get promoted. And I sort of got my foot in the door that way through able to write articles on promotion, entry-level stuff, published two books on entry-level firefighter preparation, as well as um, one on promotional preparation. Fire engineering is going to be publishing uh, my next one on promotional preparation sometime in the next handful of months as we finalize everything there, which is an awesome, incredible. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. I've got some courage under fire leadership books that I have in the works that I'm just trying to figure out the best way to dice those up because over my yeah, 25 years of, you know, current department, almost 30 years in the fire service. I'm not an expert in anything. I mean, I have my passions. I'm enthusiastic yeah. about a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of best practices that I'm fortunate that my brain can put on paper, whether or not they're beneficial, that's up to the reader. But I do get a lot of inspiration from people that have read some of the stuff that I've done or sat in classes that really sometimes I wonder why am I wasting my time not that I want feedback, not that I expect feedback, but it is nice every now and then for someone that I've never met to say, hey, by the way, thanks for the stuff that you put on your website. It helped get me promoted. I've never, I mean, I don't give the answers because there are no answers. I give a lot of resources. Thanks for what you do because it helped me out. You've never met me before, but cool. Yeah. You know, again, that inspires me. And then as I've moved up the ranks to now deputy chief, it's allowed me to have more of a opportunity to do more spread out, not just leadership development for firefighters, but also officers. And I've been fortunate to present classes for all ranks of personnel up to fire chiefs. I'm not a fire chief now, but again, there's a lot of things that I share that I think are good discussion points that, you know, people find of benefit. So I'm very fortunate to have done the things that I've done up to this date. And I really appreciate all the opportunities that I've been given. And I try not to take those for granted. And again, every day I'm in the, on this earth, I realize how much I don't know, or I make a mistake and go, God, I sh- Screw that one. Well, see, listen, and and this is where you separate yourself from the people out there that might say you have to be boastful, egotistical and a disciplinarian when it comes to being a leader. Right. You're instead you got to take the humble open and honest and reflective approach. When you become a leader, you're not perfect. You don't know everything. You're still learning. You never stop learning when you become a leader. And if you do stop learning, that's when you've got to really reevaluate. Why are you going to stay in this role and be effective? Or are you going to be a hindrance for others who might want to rise to that level as well? When you share your thoughts and perspectives, that's your experience. And that's sacred. And that's something that no one can take from you because here's the thing. There are people out there that want to know how to promote. There are people out there that want to know how to sit before panels and interview well, and they need that kind of guidance. We talked about it a few minutes ago. They are hungry to get there. They just don't know the path, and you're creating that map. Mm 
What you're doing is that map or that book, that guide for them to get from step one to step 10, essentially. You don't have to be a fire chief. You're right. Leaders, when you walk into fire school, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You made a decision then to become a leader because you learn about leadership, I think, early in fire school. That's when they separate you into squads. That's where you learn how to work as a team. It's where you learn how to make mistakes. You learn how to earn respect. You become, it's the pedigree for leadership in a sense, standards, and that's important to remember. So that's an awesome, that's an awesome bit of perspective that you share when it comes to why you put pen to paper and why you teach and why you bring these words out there. Because not everybody likes what I do. Who cares? It's okay. You don't have to like what I do. I'm not here to make friends with everybody. I'm here just to share some humble reflection. And that's it. And, and it's no different in your aspect. Not everybody's going to buy the, the, the book and say, I like it. Some might say, no, I, it's not my cup of tea. That's okay. It's okay. You know? Well, and I just want to clarify one thing, because every now and then when someone sees oh, a promotional preparation book or they read an article that's done, I'm, everyone sometimes say, well, you're giving away all the answers. Well, first of all, there are no answers. Yeah. And I tell people flat out, no, I'm not telling you how to pass the test. I'm telling you how to prepare for the position. Absolutely. Because if you're preparing for the position, the test is inconsequential because if you prepare to say, be a company officer, no matter what the test is, whether it's a written test, an oral interview, a tactical exercise, a personnel issue, a writing exercise, if you've prepared for that position, it shouldn't matter. You should no, be able to handle right. anything. I mean, you're not right. anything, but most things. I mean, there's first time I took the battalion chief's test, I prepared as well as I could have. Mm-hmm. Came out number three, but I hadn't been an acting battalion chief. But the benefit of, okay, well, number one, two got promoted. I died number one on the list, but I got to do like a year of acting time. And when I took that test the next time, a year and a half later, I did a lot better because I'd actually done the job. But again, prepare for the position, not just the test. So it's not like I'm teaching people just to pass the test. I know there's a lot of people that complain about their promotional process of how, well, they just smoked the test and did well, but they suck as a whatever. Well, that happens, unfortunately, but that's not who I am. I agree. And you're absolutely right. The test itself to me is is a process, but it doesn't. And, and I think some ways it lacks character assessment where I think it's really important when you start assessing people for the role of officer. It's not about the ranking of the test. It's about who you are as a person. It doesn't mean you have to be the strongest personality or that, you know, you could be a very moderately personality wise person. You're not, you know, high end, low end per se. You, you have a good uh, idea of what you want to do, but you're not sure how you're going to act when you get to that point. But at least you go through the process and these development steps. Again, it's it's getting them from step one to step 10, and it's just a methodology. It's how what I learned when I stepped into this role, how I got to this role, and what you can do to better yourself once you get into this role, should you choose to stay here or go up from here. And I think that should be a goal everybody has. You want to rise. I tell kids, and this is a little off topic, but I tell kids, stop chasing the lateral Okay, dream, because everybody goes from department to department for the paycheck, right? Start chasing that vertical dream. That means you got to get your education. That means you got to maybe get an associate's degree, a a bachelor's if you can. Get your FO1, FO2 classes done. That's important in Florida for a lot of departments. You've stopped chasing the lateral. Start chasing the vertical. That's where the impact is made. Bingo. You know, and listen, I know you wanted at least five o'clock California time, and I appreciate you coming on the show. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to bring this down. 
and just let this little bit of music and it's subtle going out you know it's not anthrax it's not slayer it's just okay. it's it's just how i bring it it's for you okay I'm a hater you could come in with some jazz and i'd be happy i mean again music is good you want me to go dave cause i could go dave cause and bring dave cause into this okay we could do jazz all day long i used to do his brunch show when i worked sunday morning radio okay but listen yes. chief I'm i gotta tell you thank you for coming on today and and tell me real quick for everybody out there where can they find your material your books fire engineering article coming out real soon which is an accomplishment i can't wait to read it myself let's give everybody an idea where they can find your work so they can start utilizing it to better themselves well thank you brother i do first of all thank you for the opportunity to be on here it's been a great conversation we could talk for hours and days and we'll I know. get that opportunity as time goes by but to not bore people too much easiest way to get a hold of me is my website code three fire training literally code three three the number firetraining.com obviously you can try to google my name but given the way my last name is spelled it's uh it can be a challenge and i get that so code three firetraining.com has my contact information on there there's a free stuff link that has a lot of resources on there and again it's not just promotional preparation leadership officer development training stuff articles that i've written um resources that i have not here to charge you that's why it's called free stuff and um i try to use that as a portal and feel free to check out the stuff that i've done on youtube for a variety of different things and you know i again i appreciate the opportunity and hopefully we'll get a chance to once we get this pandemic done with uh, do this stuff in person but for right now we made it work across the country i'll come to california you come to florida we can meet in the middle maybe we get to teach together down the road somewhere i'll bring my stuff with me we can always do another episode but for now yes it's going to have to be relegated to zoom but you're coming back because i want to expand on some of the work some of the books and the material and get into the articles and really get into the good and the bad of leadership a little more in depth because we need to really introduce why people need to evaluate their own abilities and what leadership truly means once they take that role. So again, Chief, thank you. It's been an honor to be able to talk to you, have you on. And with that, guys, austere times, right? We're in scary moments here. We're still dealing with the pandemic and it's still part of our lives every day. So just good attitude, stiff upper lip, keep your head on a swivel, Brothers, sisters, keeper. That is something I can't in, just impart upon you any more than I have already done every episode we've ended. Just look out for each other. Be good to each other. And you know what? We'll catch you on the next one. You just survived 30 minutes of online training with the Can Man Radio Show. Did you remember to train your probie today? The Can Man knows. He knows everything. When that 2 a.m. lift assist drops, the Can Man will be thinking of you in his dreams. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. And if you want to look for more content out there from some great firefighters on some awesome podcasts, go check out some of my friends, starting with my good friend Steve Green from the Five Alarm Task Force and my good buddy Rob Pollock from Flow Invent, the Down to Fight Fire podcast out of British Columbia, Canada, A. SA Matters with Dr. Richard Gassaway, my good friend Ryan Pennington from West Virginia with Jump Seat Radio and that Jump Seat Radio Nation. Pin the Q, Code 3, Do Work, The Thin Red Line with my brother Captain John Haywick out of Passaic as well, The Fire Rescue Show, The Average Jake Firefighter, and of course, John Spira and the Fit to Fight Fire podcast. Go check these brothers out as they put great content out there and they're going to appreciate your support. See you on the next one.